The following episode includes mature themes and language that may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to True Crime Worldwide. I'm your host, Annika, and today I have a very special surprise for you. I would love to introduce Kendra. What's up, everybody? I'm Kendra. I'm also a new host here. Love true crime. I'm very excited to get started with this. (laughs) We've been discussing this for a little while. Uh, As most of you guys know, or anybody who's listened to any previous episodes, I have always done the podcast uh, on my own. I haven't really had anybody else on whatsoever, uh, but I decided that it was time to take the podcast in a new direction. We will, of course, still be covering the same types of cases from all around the world, hopefully lots of new cases that you've never heard of before. Uh, That's my goal. Uh, We plan to be putting a little bit of a more personal spin on it. So before I've always done very professional, I haven't really talked about myself whatsoever. You know, just get right into the case, do that kind of stuff. But as I now have a co-host and someone to bounce anything off with, we are going to start maybe doing a little bit more personal things. We are adding the sugar, the spice, and everything (laughs) (laughs) So me and Kendra are roommates and best friends. We've Mm -hmm. known each other for a year. We met at our job. Yes, our shitty old job. Shitty old job. We have new jobs now. Uh, we became best friends over tequila and nipple piercings, so... Little fun fact. You guys are in for a real treat. Now, we are going to dive right into this episode. Uh, this is episode 18, and we are going to be covering the case of Chris Creamers and Lisanne Froome today. Mm-hmm. Along with the new host, we're also going to be using a new style. This week, I will be telling Kendra a true crime story, and in two weeks, Kendra will be telling me a true crime story. And we will go back and forth like that, covering different places, different things, different people, as usual. It'll just be a little bit easier instead of having to do all of the work by ourselves. I had to stop the podcast uh, about a year ago uh, due to being in school and having to work at the same time and I really just didn't have time to do it anymore. But now that I have a little bit more time on my hands, I'm hoping to get back into it, and I hope you guys are excited for this as we are. Chris Creamers was a 21-year-old woman, and Lisanne Froon was 22. They grew up in Amsterfort in the Netherlands. Chris was described as an open, creative, and responsible woman. She had a degree in cultural social education, where she specialized in art education at the University of Utrecht. I'm so sorry for anything. Hard word. (laughs) I'm so sorry for anything I mispronounce. Sadly, Dutch. I I think they speak Dutch in the Netherlands. Is not a language I speak. Not on my wheel of languages. I will say that. My my wheel of English and maybe a little bit more English. <laughs> uh, Lisanne, on the other hand, was an aspiring, optimistic, and intelligent volleyball player. She had a degree in applied psychology from Deventure. 
Applied psychology is the use of psychological methods and findings of scientific psychology to solve practical problems of human and animal behavior and experience. Ooh, she's real smart. She is, but try saying that sentence ten times fast. I would not be able to. <laughs> I'd ba- barely be able to say it once. Yeah, it's yeah. she's a very smart woman. She actually uh, just graduated uh, where our story takes place. Ooh. I know, very exciting. Can you imagine introdu- introducing yourself like that all the time? That would be so great. That would be, that would be really a really a handful of words. <laughs> in February of 2014, Lisa moved in with Chris in Amsterfort, and they worked together in a restaurant called, again, so sorry for the pronunciation, in Dein Kleinen Hap. The friends saved up for months while working this job to go on a vacation to Panama where they hope to learn Spanish and help locals, specifically volunteering with children. Now, this is not confirmed, but I believe what they were doing was they were making arts and crafts with the children. That is so sad. <laughs> Could you imagine going to help little children and you end up a true crime case? That's a whole 180. Really, though, I feel bad for them. They were such sweet women, too. Like, Literally. They were spending parts of their vacation volunteering with children. I would not be one to do that at all. (laughs) I like my vacation time. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to Wikipedia, the trip was also supposed to be a reward to Lisanne for graduating and getting her fancy degree. Which, you know what? That girl boss deserved it. Mm -hmm. Go girl boss, go. The women landed in Panama on March 15, 2014. They spent some time visiting towns, villages, and landmarks all around the country for two weeks. Finally, on March 29th, they arrived in, again, I am so sorry for the pronunciation, Boquette, Chiriqui, to live with a local family for a month while volunteering with the children in the area, like I mentioned before. They updated their families daily with texts and calls to catch up every single night, which is so sweet. That is so sweet. They just wanted to tell their family all about all of the hikes they were doing and the people they were meeting. And how much fun they were having with the little children making arts and crafts. On April 1st, the women woke up and posted on their Facebook pages that they were going on a hike that day on the El Piancita Trail, which wasn't far from where they were staying. They went to brunch with two Dutchmen around their age at Il Pinanza restaurant. Allegedly, the women took the dog that belonged to the owners of this restaurant and left to go hiking in the trail in the forest surrounding the Baru volcano. It was about 11 o'clock a.m. that they began their hike. Now, the dog is... Do we know what kind of dog it was? The dog is complicated. We're not sure if the dog was actually with them, And we're not sure who the dog belongs to, because some sources say that the dog belongs to the uh, restaurant owners. Yeah. And some sources say that the dog was actually the host family's dog. So, I'm not really sure on that. I don't know, I feel like it would be a little bit weird if it was just like the the restaurant, they were just sitting down in the restaurant like, hey, heard you're going for a hike, (laughs) want to take my dog Lucy so I don't have to go too? Yeah, I I think, I think. It makes more sense for the host dog. yeah, it makes more sense. But again, nobody even is positive that there was a dog with them. Hey, when in Panama. <laughs> really, though. As for the dog's name, I believe it's some variant of Blue. I'm not sure if it's in a different language or Aww. if it's just the name Blue. It's a but cute name. That is a cute name. I thought it was a cute name. I'd name a dog Blue. I, think I had a dog named Blue. Aww. I named a dog Blue when I was six. Oh my god, what kind of dog was it? A uh, sheepdog. 
Ooh, I love sheepdogs. He hated, he hated men so much. Not fair enough. <laughs> I mean... For the rest of the day, life went on like normal. It wasn't until the owners at the restaurant discovered their dog had returned without the women that the people began uh, to raise red flags. By the time this had happened, however, it was already dark, and hours had passed since the women had left. So they didn't think to look... I'm sorry, but if I sent my dog out with two complete strangers, I feel like I would have to check in, like, every now and then. You would think, but... But it's really sweet that they uh, raised red flags about the people. They did, they did. Some people would just ignore that and be like, Mm -hmm. hey, maybe they just, like, let him off the leash and was like, here you go, go home. Now, the other part of this that makes me think that it might have been the host family's dog is this Mm -hmm. next part here, uh, because the owners of the dog contacted Lisanne's family, and it makes more sense for the host family to have her family's contact information. Yeah. Uh, Lisanne's family then tried to contact her, but could not get a hold of her. On the morning of April 2nd, Lisanne and Chris missed an appointment that they had made with a local tour guide named Feliciano, who was going to bring them out onto the trails. He went to the host family to look for them, but they weren't there. Sorry for that little interruption. Our cat decided to try to knock over our cats. Most of their belongings were still in the house, but not them. The only things gone were a single blue backpack and the girls' phones, which is all you would really take for yeah, a hike. Like, if I was going for a hike, which I mean, I feel like only bad things come from hikes. As many stories as I've heard of people, like, going missing on hikes and stuff, I'm surprised people still go on hikes. That is true, that is true. I personally, I would not hike. Whether that's because I'm lazy or for my safety, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. The point is I wouldn't hike. It would not happen. No, definitely not. So search parties began to look for the women at this time. On April 6th, both sets of parents arrived in Panama, accompanied by police and detectives from the Netherlands. They also had dog units and supplies with them. The police from the Netherlands conducted a thorough, full-scale operation, which involved them searching the forest for 10 days, even going as far as using local helicopters to try to search the skies. Both sets of parents combined offered a 30,000 US dollars reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of Chris and Lisanne. Oh my god, that's horrible. Yep. For weeks after this, the trail went cold. While a light police presence remained to oversee the investigation, the family and the majority of the Netherlands police force returned back to the Netherlands. It wasn't until June 14, 2014, when a local woman was also out hiking, when she took a short break by a riverbank. She noticed something odd, a blue backpack in the middle of the wilderness. She, of course, turned it into the police near her village which was the village of Alto Romero. Again, hiking. Found hiking. a random backpack. Hiking. Why would you go hiking? Why would you go hiking? Hiking is like the like the root of problems, I feel. The backpack contained two pairs of sunglasses, $83 worth of cash in US dollars, uh, Lisanne's passport, an empty water bottle, Lisanne's camera, two bras, Chris's iPhone 4, and Lisanne's Samsung Galaxy S3 and both phones were in pristine condition, which doesn't make a lot of sense considering how long they were out in the middle of the woods. The phones had a lot of data on them, so I'm gonna go through and read out the activity. 
I should note that none of the following calls went through due to a lack of service. This is really sad. This, oh my god. This next part kind of sucks, trying to hear how much they tried to call for help. On April 1st, at 4.39pm, Chris called the International Emergency Number 112. At 4.51pm... PM? PM? Okay. No, can, can we please start calling it that from now on? At 4.51pm, Lisan called 112. There were also photos from this day suggesting that the women were out wandering the wilderness off the path, but they traveled in the forest for hours before they attempted to make any emergency calls. On April 2nd, 6.58 a.m., Lisan called... Sorry, our cat again? <laughs> Lisan called 112. At 8.14 a.m., Chris called 112. At 10.52 a.m., Lisan called 112 and 911. She then checked her signal at 1.50 p.m. and then again at 4.19 p.m. On April 3rd, at 7.36 a.m., Lisanne turned off her phone. Chris called 911 at 9.32 a.m., then checked her signal at 11.47 a.m., and then again at 3.59 p.m. So they're, they're really trying to get a hold of somebody yeah. here, and they just have no signal. At this point, they're kind of like just panicking, trying to find someone that can help them. Yeah. Uh, on April 4th at 4.50 a.m., Lisanne checked her signal, then checked it again at 5 o'clock a.m. It was then that the battery of her phone died, and there was no further activity from it. She was the one who had the Samsung. Chris, however, did two signal checks, one at 10.16 a.m. and one at uh, 1.42 p.m. On April 5th, things started looking even worse. At 10.50 a.m., the signal was checked and the pin was entered to get into the phone. However, at 1.37 p.m. when the signal was checked, either Chris didn't fully unlock her phone or the pin was entered incorrectly. Even though all these times before, the pin had been entered and she had gone into her phone. To check the signal. Yep. Yeah. That's a little suspicious. Yep. The phone is never unlocked again after this point. But it's still alive, right? It's alive, and there are a couple more signal checks that I'm going to read on. Ooh. Uh, just so you know how much activity there was going on. Yeah. Uh, the next day, uh, on April 26th, at 10.26, the phone was turned back on. Then the signal was checked at 1.37 as well, and it remained on after this. Mm-hmm. On April 8th, 90 flash photos were taken between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m deep in the forest in the complete darkness. The photos show that they may have been near a river, or perhaps a ravine. You can't really tell, it's really dark and hard to see. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps this was the river that the backpack was found at. We're not really sure. One of the creepier photos is the one of just the back of Chris's head, where the entire photo is just her blonde hair, but there are blood stains in her blonde hair. And there's this photo shows no proof that she was alive when it was taken. It honestly looks more like a photo of a corpse just because of how messy and tangled and bloodied the hair is. Here, I'll actually pull up some of the photos. Oh my god, I would love to see that. Not in a creepy way, but... So this was was one of the photos that they took on their hike. They were happy. That's one of the random ones that they took. That's the blonde hair photo. 
You can see oh. all the blood down here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That does not look like someone's alive. No. And I mean, why would you take a picture of, of the, the back, back of someone's head? head? Like, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense. This was another one of the pictures. There, there were 90 photos, so there were like a shit ton of photos. Yeah. And they were all just of random things. Yeah, that's quite peculiar. Uh, but yeah, on th so that was April 8th, and there was no more activity from the phone until April 11th. Yeah. yeah. This is when Chris's phone is turned back on, and it is turned on for an hour and five minutes before it was powered off at 22% and never powered back on again. Yeah. Yeah. The discovery of the backpack sprung the search efforts back to life. These searches took place along Colbera Cut. Again, so sorry for the pronunciations, anyone who <laughs> happens to know these places. So you have like a, bear, a bunch of like angry people just being like, that's wrong. First, Chris's jean shorts were found on a rock, a few kilometers away from where Lisanne's backpack had been found. Two months after that, much closer to where the backpack had been found, tequila. Two months after that, much closer to where the backpack had been found, a pelvis and a boot with a foot inside of it were found. Like a whole pelvis. A whole, like a pelvis bone. The whole thing. Like the bone or like everything? The whole, just the pelvis bone. Nothing else. No other bones, just the pelvis bone. That's, that's creepy. And, and a boot with a foot in and a, it. And a boot with a foot. Which is more, more disturbing to me, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like taking the time to like get the whole pelvis bone. It's a lot more than just cutting off a foot, a foot with a boot. That is true, that is true. Uh, 33 bones were soon found after this, though they were scattered all over the area. Yikes. Yep. Uh, the bones were tested and the DNA confirmed that they belonged to Chris and Lisanne. Lisanne's bones still had bits and pieces of skin attached to them, but Chris's bones had been bleached. A forensic anthropologist from Panama later claimed that there were no discernible scratches of any kinds on the bones, neither natural nor cultural origin. There were no marks on the bones whatsoever. That's a little bit more alarming than anything else. Yeah, her bones were bleached. Like, yikes. Yeah, I don't want to know why the bones need to be bleached. But... I don't know why they bleached them, and... but hey, whatever, whatever floats your boat, I guess. <laughs> Despite these strange circumstances, the police theory didn't involve a murder. Their theory is that the women went off on the trail and one of them got injured. The other woman was trying to help her when she ended up getting injured as well. This led to them starving and becoming dehydrated. The case remains open and unsolved, however. She just like randomly slipped and fell in bleach. Her like skeleton just... Slipped and fell with bleach and just and, scattered and, itself around. Yeah, <laughs> because I Because mean, that makes so much sense. I mean, I can understand the scattered bones theory just because if animals Because, like, animals around, them, yeah. But there, there are... Now, I have a couple of counterpoints to this okay. that other people point out that I'm going to let you know about. Mm-hmm. Because this, this is the biggest thing that I haven't mentioned yet. Ooh. The uh, big reveal. The big reveal. The big reveal is photo 509. That sounds very, very high class. It does, doesn't it? Super classified. Yeah. Photo 508 was a normal photo of one of the women during the day, but photo 510 is where the strange photos begin. It's a photo of a stick with two red bags tied up on top of a rock. They look like candy wrappers almost. They're very tiny. Tiny, tiny red bags. Yeah, they're, they're like little, 
They're miniature uh, dog bags is what they yeah. look like. Tied to a stick on top of a rock. Makes sense. Yep, that was photo 510. Because if I was stuck in the wilderness, that's definitely what I would do out of boredom. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So the photo that was deleted, this is the only photo that was deleted out of all of the pictures that were taken. Like the whole 90 photos. Yeah, this is the only one that was deleted. And it happened to be the one in between where the good photos were and where the scary photos were. Could they not like get it back or something? Uh, they didn't try. Wow. Yeah, believe me, police wow. police in Panama have been uh, attacked for this case a lot because yeah, of Yeah, clearly. Yeah. That makes it almost seem that they don't want it to be solved, you know? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Police cover-up is actually one of the theories that a lot of people mention. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, some people think that the girls got their murderer on camera and that the person deleted the photo and then staged the calls to make it seem like the women were alive and it was a natural accident. Yeah. Uh, another good point that has been brought up as well, if the women were injured and starving and thought there was a chance they might die, why wouldn't they have left goodbye messages to their families? Yeah, like literally, I would write that in my notes or something. Yep, we know Chris's phone was on for days after the disappearance, so why didn't they leave a voice memo or a note or try to send a text or leave a video? Yeah, because if you send anything, a text, once you get back to Signal, it'll send. Yep, yeah. yeah. uh, there's also not a single photo of the women alive after photo 508. Personally, if I were lost in the wilderness, I would be taking photos and trying to keep record of where I was in case something happened. Exactly, because I mean, then if, people if, could slowly track you, like, eventually. Yeah. Even if you're dead, like, someone will eventually get to your body if they have those photos. Yeah, it, but no, there was no photos of the women alive. And, on top of everything else, there were other murders in the same area for years after Chris and Lisanne, all of which were labeled, quote, unrelated unquote by local police Unreli that sounds pretty related yeah. even though the cases had pretty much the same thing scattered bones women who disappeared tourists who disappeared into the woods and were never found again Yum. yeah it makes sense that police would want to cover up a serial killer as most of the country's income is from to the tourism. tourist industry yeah yeah and that is all we have for you today ladies and gentlemen yes uh, before we do anything else, before I forget, I would like to read out some of the sources where I got my information from, as usual. Uh, Wikipedia, Quora, The Daily Beast, AllThingsInteresting.com, Ranker.com, Medium.com, and ForensicTales.com were some of the many places that I used. Yes. Were all of the places that I used. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Yes. And we will be returning to you in two weeks with two another weeks episode. Put it in your calendar. Yeah, everybody get ready for us to come back. Very excited for the next one. Oh, she's she's very excited to tell me the story that she has. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very exciting story for her. You will understand why <laughs> next week. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, and leave a rating if you could. Uh, that's what helps our podcast get out to other people. Thank you all so much, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. You can find us on Facebook at True Crime Worldwide and on Instagram at True Crime Worldwide Podcast. If you're looking to contact us, our email is truecrimeworldwidepodcast at gmail.com. 
This episode was written by Annika Penny and narrated by Annika Penny and Kendra Isaacs. It was edited by Annika Penny. The intro music was written and produced by Ben James. Who you can find on YouTube at B-E-N-J-E-M-I-M-A. The cover photo was taken and edited by Kyle Shaw. True Crime Worldwide was written and produced by H. Penny Entertainment.